Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Want to witness the world's biggest football game? Head to iCanWin.com.au, predict Australia's score with a crystal ball, and it could be you and a friend at the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 semifinals, all thanks to McDonald's. Maccas, together and loving it. TNCs apply. If you're into cars, get into Repco. Bloody proud sponsors of the Repco Bathurst 1000. This is Race Control with Greg Murphy and Stephen McIver. on a Wednesday evening. Welcome to Race Control with Stephen McIver and Greg Murphy on a Wednesday because it's Cup Week so we've been dragged forward a little bit early but we are hunting, fishing and loving every day because we've got a good old country feel NASCAR coming your way inside this next 45, 50 minutes with the, the legend that is Dale Earnhardt Jr. And Murph, i got to say uh, we played a bit of it last night on Sky Speed. Man, the guy's deeper than I thought. <laughs> You've got to give them credit, don't you? Uh, I'm just wondering, man, is that in your Spotify sort of no, song list? No, there, no, no, CC. No, who was, you, that? Who yes, was that, by the way? We just, it was Luke Bryan, you know, American Idol, the guy, the no. judge on American Idol. Oh. Yeah, no, it's, it's really him. cool. Okay. And we just, we just want to give it that, get a good old southern deep. country feel. So hunting, fishing, mm, and loving every yeah. day is what it's called. Hey, I've got to start yeah. the show by apologising to you. That's not often I apologise well, we I didn't finish what I was going to say before about Dale Earnhardt Jr. Oh, yes, carry he's, on. He's, uh, the, the chat is, is great. It's, um, it's awesome. Some of the stuff that he said is just it makes so much sense. It makes a lot of sense to me. Um, being, uh, you know, uh, ex-professional race car driver too, but it's really interesting. And, and uh, he has just grasped this broadcasting thing. Um, yeah. With NASCAR, just uh, beautifully, really, really, really well. So it's he is awesome to listen to. And of those that haven't listened to uh, a NASCAR broadcast, uh, you've been missing out. Well, you're going to hear uh, a lot of it in the next uh, 40 odd minutes because that's our Repco feature interview. So I've got to apologise to you, right? Because last okay. last week I made you say, "Bring in back the Bathurst." 
Yeah, you did. And, I thought you did. And, I actually, I've been actually thinking about that all week. Going, he got that. Did I get that wrong, or did he get uh, that wrong? Stephen anyway. got it wrong. It's bring in the Bathurst with Ripco, and if you want to win that, bring in the Bathurst yep. one thousand yep. dollar man cave pack from our good friends at Ripco. Get on the phone anytime. Oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven. Oh eight hundred one five oh eight eleven, and you will go in the draw to win yep. that man cave pack. Hey, before we hear the first part of the interview, uh, NASCAR. That that Kyle Larson win and the top four drivers being the top four place in the last race of the year. I don't think I've been more excited about an NASCAR season with particularly with this playoffs. Oh, totally. Um, I am. I'm, I've just been blown away by. It. I've gone on and on about it. Obviously on race control and on Sky Speed about how immersed in it I've been this year and. Um, the interview with Dale, uh, I think, explains a lot of that as well. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's just been enthralling. And, and you know, there was no one that picked uh, Kyle Larson to win this championship at the start of the year. He won 10 races. Mm-hmm. 10 races, which is phenomenal out of 36. 10. That is just, it's, it's just, yeah, amazing. Incredible. And the top four fought it out for the entire 300 and, was it, six or eight laps? Uh, 12, or 312 laps, I think Phoenix. it was. Yeah. 312. I yeah. mean, they fought it out. Hammer and tongs. It was it was phenomenal, and so it was very cool uh, to get a reply from uh, Dale Junior when I sent him a text and said, "Hey, would you mind coming on?" He was like straight away, "Yep, love it, keen," and um, offered to do it more often uh, next year if need be. So we might as well crack into it, shall we, Stephen? Yep, let's go. It has been an incredible twenty twenty one season of NASCAR. Um, I've just been enthralled by it all season and uh, a man who has been on the ground there analysing, talking about this, uh, this sport, something that he has been just absolutely entrenched in for so long, now on the other side of it, uh, asking the questions, asking the tough stuff, is Dale Hunart Jr. Man, thank you so much for your time. Yeah, I'm uh, glad to do it, man. I um, got a few friends over that way and it's been a long time since I've been out to uh, to that part of the world and I miss it and I can't wait to get back so it's kind of nice to talk to talk to you and now we got a, a lot of folks over there that follow NASCAR and definitely interested in what we got going on over here so uh, happy to be here yeah well it was um, it was a, a phenomenal season I mean uh, I, I, I couldn't believe it came down to the wire the way it did. The, way it did. T- the top four in the championship, top four all day at Phoenix. Uh, just, I mean, how exciting for you watching that come to come to a, the, the crescendo? It was just a. Uh, it was a really incredible, you know, season all the way through, and um, the. You know, we, we all kind of knew Kyle Larson was going to be strong, and he had been in some different cars before in his career, and we certainly didn't know exactly how to, to you know, handicap his his ability in a stock car. Now he, he wins in everything else he gets in, um, and we'd never seen him in the type of equipment that Rick Hendrick was going to give him. So I think we all anticipated great things out of him, but... Um, nobody was, nobody had him really winning the championship that I that I can remember. We did a season preview with all of the NBC talent, 
and everybody had to make their picks on who would make the Final Four and who would win the championship, and nobody really was going to go all in on Larson to be the champion. But a lot of us thought he could make that Final Four, without a doubt. So um, he did uh, get there, and, um, you know, I didn't have him as the favorite at Phoenix. I thought Mark Trix Jr. was the was the guy that was going to have the most speed. Uh, that track is similar to Richmond, New Hampshire, and a lot of racetracks uh, along the circuit that Martin has been great at this year. And so he also won at Phoenix earlier in, in the spring, so back in March. So I was, uh, I think everybody thought Martin was going to probably be the best car. But uh, we were standing on pit road right before the race, and... Um, we talked about pit crews. We said, you know, this, these pit crews are going to be tested. They're going to have to make pit stops. They're going to have to be perfect. And positions can change on pit road during those pit stops. And that could uh, affect the outcome of the race. And, and it did. Uh, I mean, absolutely, the pit crew won the championship for Kyle Larson. Now, he's a heck of a driver, and he had to drive the car in the last few laps. But the stop the pit crew made that got him the lead on that last restart I mean, they, they they advanced him, I think, four positions, three or four positions. So um, that wasn't going to – he wasn't going to get that done on the racetrack, I don't think. So it was, uh, it was pretty impressive what they did. And it's a team sport. You know, the drivers do a lot of work. They get a lot of the credit. But there's a ton of pit stops that happen throughout the year that make a big difference in the outcomes of these races. And we saw that firsthand. Uh, this weekend in Phoenix. It's pretty cool. I think it's cool that, you know, we, we celebrate the driver, but the, the crews really put their stamp on that, that championship and that success. And it was obvious to everyone there that they played such a massive role. Uh, yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I just thought it, uh, just the way they were able, those top four were able to fight it out all day at the front of that field. Um, you know, you'd be excused for thinking it was, it was, um, you know, it was planned that way, but it was just incredible to watch them all do that. And you say Martin Truex Jr., man, he was he was in control, wasn't he? And it epitomizes what that definition of teamwork is was right there at the end. I mean, it was just incredible, incredible to watch. Um, for you, uh, being through the, you know, working now where you are and, and then but as a driver, the playoff system, you know, it's obviously got pros and cons, a big time to have it. I mean... Uh, are you a fan? Do you think it, it can be modified in some way, shape, or form? I mean, I, I watched this year and was just blown away with the entertainment of it. But how does everyone else feel in the pit lane? You know, I'm I'm a traditionalist and sort of uh, a bit old school, and I really appreciate the old format that we had where you raced all year long and accumulated points and, and whoever accumulated the most throughout the year, that was the guy. And sometimes you would have a championship that was decided before the final race. And, I, you know, I admired that. I thought that was uh, impressive. And I, pre I can appreciate that type of format. If they brought it back tomorrow, I'd be pretty excited, to be honest with you. But I, I, with all that said, it never ever was going to produce the type of drama and the type of emotion and the type of 
highs, the highs, and the, the very highest of highs and the lowest of lows, it was never going to produce what we're experiencing today in this elimination style format. It does have a lot of pros. It does have a lot of cons. I mean, I, I, I struggle at times with how guys are able to get to that final four. You know, you'll have a guy in the final four in the truck series that only led a couple laps in the season. You know, and it's like, well, how does that guy get there, right? He, how does, does he belong there? Um, you might have a guy that wins the championship that didn't win a race, you know, and you could obviously make that argument for the old format as well, but um, there is, uh, there's never been the, the type of drama that we see uh, now with this, with, with what we experienced this year. Um, at the end of that race, uh, you had one driver that still, to, uh, still 12 hours, 24 hours later, still doesn't believe what has happened to him. You got one driver that won that title, and he still, in this moment, doesn't believe that th this is real. And then you got three other guys that have never been more disappointed, never been more heartbroken, never been lower than they are right now. And they'll have to dig themselves out of that hole and sort of re-motivate themselves and, and reinvent that, you know, themselves and, and sort of get themselves put back together to be able to go challenge for it again the next season. And those highs and, and those lows, man, they take a toll on you mentally, emotionally. It's a lot, it has long lasting effects. It, it, it's, it, you know, and that's what we want to see our professional athletes experience and go through. We want to see them pushed to the limit, tested. And I think this format really does that. I think it really puts them in some very, very uncomfortable situations. And as hard as it was as a driver to experience that, um, you know, it's kind of what I want to see when I'm a fan and an observer and a broadcaster. I want to see the, the drivers really put to the test. I want the, I want the challenges to be there. And, and it's certainly got physical challenges. And now with this type of a format, we have some mental situations that are just unbearable sometimes for these guys. And they got to fight through it. We really get to see who they really are because they can't hide from, from themselves in this type of an environment. Dale Earnhardt Jr., our Repco feature interview with uh, Murph about NASCAR's amazing season. I was a little surprised when he said he would be happy to go back to the old format, albeit it might not produce the same amount of drama at the end of a season, Murph. Yeah, but as he said, he's a traditionalist and, and it's about, you know, uh, accumulating points, accumulating points, accumulating points. And at the end of it all, the best man wins. And potentially, you know, that, that the season could be over before they finish the racing, right? This way, but it, but he said, you know, are you going to get the drama? No. Are you going to get how it works? So, you know, he, he explained it both ways and, and he, he comes from um, a period where, you know, um, he was more used to. Uh, racing to the end and the moment with the most points won. So, yeah, amazing to listen to him and get his perspective on that. But 
I mean, if you compare and you look at how drama packed and how exciting the season was, it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't have happened without um, without the playoff system in place. So it's it is it's catch twenty two pros and cons. Okay, seven fifteen here on an early edition of Race Control. Normally a Thursday, tonight a Wednesday. Brought to our good friends at Repco. If you want to crack at winning the Man Cave, oh eight hundred one five zero eight eleven. More from Dale Earnhardt Jr. next here on SENZ. And we'll feature interview with our good friends at Repco is Dale Earnhardt Jr., who Murph spoke to yesterday. And this segment, Murph reflects on returning to supercars as a broadcaster and asked Dale if he still relates to the emotions and feelings shown by drivers in the paddock being a former driver himself. I'll be honest with you. You know, I, I might have had a different experience if I'd won a championship or multiple championships. You know, maybe the disappointments wouldn't have been so bad, but... I mean, I watched uh, Jimmy Johnson, who had won seven championships, uh, go through the lowest of lows emotionally, uh, mentally, and I would say, "Man, you you've got all these championships. How can you let this you know this week's disappointment or this race t- get get you uh, so been out of shape?" How, you know, if I had seven titles, I would I would let that roll right off my back. But maybe I wouldn't. You know, the competitor in you. It drives you to win, even with all that success. You you want more. And uh, I, uh, when I was racing, man, I was a miserable person, and I knew it. But I, I wanted to be there, and I wanted I was going to go through that misery. I was going to go through that frustration because I knew that somewhere down the line there was a win, there was a celebration, there was a moment where you're on top of the world, and you would take like. Daniel Hemrick said after the Xfinity Series Championship Saturday night, he said, you know, he never won a race. His first win, he's now the champion. He said, I would trade, he said, I wouldn't trade uh, everything I've been through for one of these nights. You know, that he went through all of that hardship and losing and no wins and no celebrations and he wouldn't trade it. Uh, You know, so he would go through it again to be able to feel what he felt in that moment. And so, you know, I, I remember that, and, and it was tough to, to go through all of that disappointment and all that frustration to, to, to realize that victory that might be there out in front of you. And uh, you never knew when it was going to come. It might be the next race. It might be 100 races from now. But you were going to keep on trudging through the muck, you know. But finally, when I was happy and satisfied and, and comfortable with closing the door on my driving career, um, now I watch the drivers go through that, and I get emotional about it. To be honest with you, you know, I get nervous for them. I was sitting on the grid before the race, and I was I was nervous, like I was going to run the race. It was the weirdest feeling. I was I was nervous for the drivers. I really, um, I knew that emotion and that nerve and that anxiety that they were feeling, and I hated it for them. Um, I was feeling some. You know, I was jealous a little bit because I want to experience that too. But uh, at the same time, I was, uh, it was a crazy thing. It was a really weird thing. But in the booth, I joke, we joke, and, and you'll understand this. There's no losses up there. You know, you, you might screw up or you're disappointed with your performance every once in a while, but there's no, there's no lost championships. There's no losses. Mm-hmm. There's no races where you, you know, there's no broadcast where somebody moves you out of the way in the last turn. Uh, 
we when we're when the checker flag falls and we go off the air that you leave it there you can't do that as a race car driver you take it everywhere you go the happiness and the sadness but in broadcasting you get to experience this the sport uh from an amazing point of view and then when it's over you get to go home and not not feel bad about any of it. you know you just uh try to do better every week yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, you explained that uh, absolutely perfectly. Um, so, talking about um, before as well uh, about some of the stuff that's been going on, the, the rivalries that that we've seen, and you you know you mentioned about the the playoff system has 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 probably you know ex exaggerated that more. And man, we have seen some stuff this year, and and the rivalries. Some of the veteran guys and and some of these guys that are coming through these young 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 players and charges. I mean, it's on. I mean, the the the, the words that are coming out of some of these guys' mouths and and you know the what they're calling each other and stuff. Oh, it it's we need. We keep saying we need more of that in supercars down here. We need some more of this. They, we don't want them to all be friends. I mean, it's 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 full on. Yeah, it's been really. Uh... It's been different this year for sure, and and you got a group of veterans. You know, in my opinion, everybody might have a different opinion about this, but in my opinion, the traditional peak or when a driver kind of starts to nose over in performance is around about the age of 43 years old. And we got a lot of veterans that are getting close to that age, and I think that they kind of know that that's sort of when things start to maybe go go south and um, for whatever reason that's sort of if you look at all of the you know all of the top 100 drivers in our sport all, you know look at the list of winners and go through every one of their careers the majority of them start to sort of nose over in performance the top fives the top tens they come fewer and fewer after the age of 43 and so I think a lot of these guys sense that the end of their career is much, much closer than the beginning. And there's some urgency to get everything you can get while you can. Um, there's uh, some frustration that the end is not always in your control. You know, you don't always get to decide exactly how you close it out as far as your career. And the young drivers that are coming in, you know, they they are not going to have this, you know, this amount of respect for you that you as a driver, a veteran, feel like they should. Not all the young guys are going to look up to you. They're in there trying to win. They're in there trying to push you out of the way, and you're just another driver to them. But the veterans, they want that respect. They think they demand, you know, deserve it. They demand it. And, and if you disrespect them, they take offense to that, and then they're going to teach you a lesson, right? That's what they're <laughs> their attitude is and they're gonna you know they're gonna get out of the car and say things that that uh, you've never heard them say before you know and they're gonna get personal and test you uh it's been it has been more than that this year than what we've seen in the past and i agree that's a good thing i think that part of that and this may be this may not be true but when, when our, our sport was very much, uh, um, you know, a, a, you know, one-on-one, -on -one, you know, you, 
me versus everyone else, uh, rough, pushing each other around, fighting, arguing. No one liked anybody until we built the bus lot inside the racetrack and all the drivers bought buses and all of them started staying in this bus lot together. It was like a mobile home, traveling mobile home lot from racetrack to racetrack. And if they had a disagreement, uh, they were gonna probably hash it out in the motorhome lot. One was gonna go talk to the other one or they would get together and it would get sorted out. Or they, they realized they were spending so much time around each other and they were at su such close proximity to each other all the time every single weekend that they weren't going to push each other around on the racetrack. It was like a big old buddy system going on. And it just wasn't worth running over each other because you're going to have to deal with this guy and be around him. And he's right next door in the bus you're next to in the parking lot. Then COVID came. They got rid of practice. They get, got rid of qualifying. The drivers literally fly in on race day and jump in their cars and race. They don't see each other. They don't hang out. They're not around each other. They're not in close proximity to each other throughout the weekend staying in these bus lots anymore. And I think that that may have an influence on how they treat each other. Like if I don't have to see you at all during the week and you can't get to me, no telling what I might do to you on that racetrack. Uh, and so I think that's part of it, you know. I, I think that is. Um, when, when we were traveling around and, and flying in on Thursday nights and at the racetrack until Sunday, and we were literally 20 yards from each of us, every driver was in a very close proximity in this bus lot at every single racetrack we go to. You know, they literally, everybody knew each other maybe a little bit too good. You know, everybody became a little bit too close. The drivers would all spend a lot more time around each other in these little cliques. And so that might have some something to do with it. But, uh, you know, it, it, uh, it, it's good to have those guys pushing each other around a little bit. I will say this too. I know I'm running long on this answer, but the new car coming has a composite body uh, I think they're going to be beating on each other a little bit more because the car that we have now, if they rub fenders, it usually results in a flat tire. It's too risky. They don't want to touch the wall because it's too, any kind of uh, deflection or, or, or change in the body tends to always be a bad deal for them aerodynamically. And so they can't rub, they can't race the car up against the wall. They can't rub into, bump into each other for fear of, of, either getting a flat tire or hurting the aerodynamics inside force of the race car. But the new car has a composite body and uh, doesn't, you know, it's going to bounce right back. You know, you can beat on each other and push in each other. It's less, way, way less likely to cut a tire. And so um, we've seen a lot of this success in the Xfinity series with this type of body. The guys are pretty aggressive with it. They'll bounce it off the wall without a thought and they'll run into each other without a thought all that stuff pops back into place when they get done beating on each other a little bit so that's going to be a good thing because i think our cup guys would love to be more aggressive at times and they just they just can't because the car just can't handle it the tires are cut down Incredible insights from Dale Earnhardt Jr. talking to Murph. There's more coming, the final segment coming your way. And he's going to talk, talk about the exciting part of season 2022, which are the Gen 3 cars. It's half past seven. This is Race Control with Repco. More from Dale Earnhardt Jr. next on SENZ.
7.35 on Race Control on an early week. This is a Wednesday. It's Cup Week, so there's more Cup Racing action tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. And we're talking to Dale Earnhardt Jr., a Repco feature interview. And the last part of Murph's magnificent interview with Dale Earnhardt, Murph talks to Dale about his first impressions of the new Gen 3 cars after being able to drive one. You guys uh, are, are probably pretty... Uh, you know, you've had a lot of time working with independent rear suspension, and I'm sure that's kind of a brand new thing for NASCAR next year. And uh, going from a Ford nine-inch rear housing that's not independent to a, to having independent rear suspension, the, the feel of the car and the the way just going around this quarter-mile racetrack when I went to go apply throttle. I was anticipating a ton of wheel spin because when you're trying to get the power down with that four nine inch rear and housing, it's trying to argue with you. It's not trying to do what you want it to do. It's trying to do the opposite. And it's arguing with you as you're trying to put the tires down to the racetrack. And one's trying to spin and the other's trying not to spin. And it just never really does anything great. Well, the independent rear suspension, when I was driving at Bowman Gray Stadium and I went to apply the gas, both those tires were doing both this, the car really hunkered down on the right rear, but the left rear was still driving the car forward. It wasn't trying to spin like we tend to have with these cars. And so I was really impressed with how much forward drive the car had with this type of rear suspension. It is a bigger tire, a little more contact patch on the racetrack, and uh, the sidewall is much shorter. Uh, and so in turn, you would imagine it would be much stiffer. Uh, but the car had great drive forward on a very, very small racetrack, which I think is a good sign. And they, the braking power, the, the rotors on the car are, are much, much larger, and it's a much bigger caliper on the race car. So the braking, braking performance is, in, is much better, and, and, they, and I think that'll be a good thing, too. The guys will just... The, the the drivers will adapt to that and drive and race back up to the limit of the brakes, but they're going to be racing these cars harder, deeper into the corner. They're going to be a lot more braking performance in the road courses. We're going to see uh, the guys tend to have to be very careful, almost like nimble around the road courses with the current car. I think they can really drive this car much like we see the V8 supercar guys. Uh, they throw them cars around the racetrack. It's so impressive. And um, I think that what we see next year with our, with our next-gen car may be more similar to how your guys' cars perform around the road courses. So um, I'm looking forward to, to those two things. The, the, the rear drive was really nice and the braking performance. Uh, with the bigger tire, bigger wheel, bigger calipers, rotors, uh, the way the car has been designed, there are some limitations to the steering lock. We don't have the ability to really turn the steering as far to the left or the right. And so I think unless they can um, improve that, then there's going to be some problems on pit road with guys getting boxed in or blocked in to their pit stalls. They're not gonna have the turning radius to get out of those situations that we can get out of now with our current car. And also when the car gets loose sideways, with the limited steering lock, you can only turn so far to recover from a spin. So it might, it, 
you might hear drivers, I'm saying this because you're probably going to hear some drivers mention these things when they get out of the car after a wreck or after a spin or they're going to be talking about the steering lock and the limitation. It's, it feels like it's almost half of what we have today. And so they'll adapt to that even if we never improve it. They'll adapt to it and, and learn how to handle it. But it would be nice, I think, to get a little bit more steering ability and turning uh, radius in the car uh, to be able to get on and off pit road, in and out of your pit stall, and also to be able to have a lot of freedom in, in controlling the car when it's out of control. And uh, the sidewall is really short. And so when I was at this test, I drove the car for 20 laps, but Tony Stewart drove it for about 100 laps. And he spun out twice. And I, I came to Tony Stewart and I said, hey, man, you know, you, you, you spun out. Was there any warning? What did you feel? He's like, I never had a clue it was going to do that. I had a, had a ton of grip, and then it was gone. And with the shorter sidewall, it feels there's a, there's a stiffness, an increase in stiffness in, the, in the, the sidewall. There's less deflection in the sidewall. So currently... When we go down in the corner, our wheel moves around inside the tire and the driver senses that and, and it provides the driver a window of forgiveness and, and, and an understanding of really uh, being able to control the car in a slide if the car does get loose. And when you take away that deflection in the sidewall, you take away the driver's ability to sense the car getting ready to spin, right? Or sense the tire getting ready to slip. And so we're going to have a lot of guys that just bust their tail for no reason, you know, and they're going to get out and go, I don't know what happened. I had no warning. I was not loose. I don't know why I spun out. And um, you guys, you know, y'all run on a very similar tire. And uh, exactly. y'all run on a very low profile tire. You know, you do. Yeah. And, and while, uh, while it's pretty forgiving, at least last time I drove a, a V8 supercar, it was really a lot of fun and you could really get aggressive with it. Um, I think with the bigger contact patch, it's kind of like it's there and then it's not. And so it'll be interesting to, to hear the drivers when they get out of the car after a spin uh, and, and what they think about that tire and, and that sort of ability to recognize when you're about to be in trouble. Uh, you had, you know, you have a lot of, you have a lot of understanding and, under, you know, you kind of know what you're dealing with with the current tire, but this one's going to be a very small window of opportunity to try to recover. Uh, and there's a lot of other things, too, about the car. I could keep going on and on. We, we have centered the tailpiece up on the car. And why is that important? Well, when it was on the current car, the tailpiece is moved all the way over to the right. So you have this very straight right side quarter panel. And that provides a lot of aerodynamic downforce on an oval racetrack. It's like a big billboard on the right side of the car. Uh, and it keeps you in y'all from really coming around and spinning the car out. You can really yeah, drive the car in y'all uh, uh, much further. Well, when we center up the rear end uh, or the tailpiece on the car, it takes that billboard off and it, and it sort of rounds the quarter panel of the car like you see on a production model car and uh, it's symmetrical so they're gonna not they're not you know the drivers aren't gonna have a lot of side force a lot of 
lateral grip, whatever you want to have, whatever you want to choose to describe it. They're not going to have what they're used to. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see these guys really busting their tail. You know, the tire, the side force, uh, they're, they're, they're going to lose. It's going to really make them uh, have to learn how to drive this thing, and they're going to make a lot of mistakes uh, throughout the first half of the year. Yeah, it, it's, it sounds exciting. And, and everything you're talking about there, I think uh, uh, any supercar driver is sitting there going, I know what you're talking about. When you, you're talking about all these things with the with the car and the independent rear and, and the way the tyre feels and it, you've got grip, 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 and then it's gone. So um, I think it's very relative. They've moved a lot closer than what they've ever been before than what we do here. And, and personally, some of us think that we should have, we should have just ordered for our next-gen car, our Gen 3 car, we should have just ordered 26 of what you've got and just brought them down to Australia because it would have been so much easier. And your car looks fantastic because we're heading towards that, um, you know, Mustang, Camaro, two-door kind of deal for Gen 3. Um, and you've already got it, so we should have been using it. Hey, I'm not going to hold you up too much longer, but I thought, um, I wonder if the, the person that's most looking forward to Gen 3 change is the guy that's got to glue all those those nuts on the wheels all the time. Is he looking forward to not having to do that anymore? <laughs> Who's that? The, the guy who has to glue all the nuts on the wheels currently. He must be looking forward to not having to do it. Going, yeah, going to a single lug. Yeah, I, I think that's going to be pretty uh, – I don't think that's going to change anything about what a race looks like. And uh, – it's not going to have any kind of a negative impact. That was, you know, there was some traditionalists in our world and in our, our fan base that fought against this very hard, and a lot of the teams even fought against it. But um, I think it's a good thing. It's much safer. Uh, you're not going to have a wheel uh, exiting a race car at high speeds uh, with the single lug. It, it may loosen, but it will stay locked on the car and that'll be safer for the drivers. I've driven cars where the wheels have come off. Uh, you're a couple laps away from the finish of the race. You know you got a loose wheel and, and if you come down pit road, you're gonna lose two laps. So you stay out there, the wheel flies off, you, you flop into the fence and you take a few guys with you. It's a terrible experience. But uh, so I'm glad that the drivers won't have to feel that ever again. And, um, it should make the stop itself simpler for the guy performing that task, right? To put that tire on there. It's less room for error, right? You don't have to worry about five lugs and getting them all tight and happen to maybe missing one or anything like that. Uh, it should be a much simpler process to, to change the tire. So that's, that's something I'm sure all those guys are looking forward to. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, amazing season uh have loved listening to you and the team uh what a, it's a huge broadcast it's incredible um i've really just got so engaged with it this year more than maybe ever before um and i can't wait for 2022 to kick off with so much to look forward to but uh in the meantime man hey just appreciate your time uh loving what you're doing and one of these days hopefully in the near future uh we'll be actually able to see each other in person man i love that um i tell you I uh, I got a chance to, to to go over that way and get to Australia and the Gulf, the, you know, go up to the Great Barrier Reef and and that was back around 2006, and I, it it was the uh, it's the most beautiful part of the world. I mean, I've been all over the place and there's nothing like it. And I I'm, I've since been married and it's um, I think about it almost every day being able to be able to take my wife. Uh, to where you guys are and, and let her see that. 
and also, you know, the, the culture and the, the personality, uh, everything you guys do is, is a lot of fun. Y'all do cars better than anybody I know. Uh, I was a big fan of the Holden and uh, actually got a G8 uh, because the Holden came to the States as a Pontiac G8. So I bought a G8 and turned it back into a Holden and uh, <laughs> got all the bumpers and all the all the interior stuff really to make it a Holden. So I'm a huge, huge fan of the culture and, and, uh, and, I'm, and I'm hoping to get back down there very very soon uh and and i'm i'm sure we'll cross paths it'll be a lot of fun so i tune in and try to keep up with the racing and the motorsports and everything happening down there i got some friends that helped me do that and keep me up to speed and uh till till we meet again i know we've been quiet this hour but murph's been talking to dale earnhardt jr what a a cool chat murph i mean the inside, I love the whole proximity chat, you know, when you're hanging out with your mates and you can actually sort it up and now they just fly and fly so they can actually have a go at each other. I found that really fascinating. Didn't that make sense though? Yeah. You know, just, um, you know, when you when you think about it and, and you know, unless you are really immersed in, in the sport, you pro- but we wouldn't have really realised anything about that. I mean, I was very aware and, and I think a lot of sports fans and NASCAR fans would know that they, they were a big travelling circus and, the and the, you know, the motorhomes turned up and the huge motorhomes and they'd be in the paddock for two, three days and or nights and, and sometimes longer depending on weather delays and that kind of stuff. Um, but now, yeah, the COVID situation has meant they're in, they're out, you know, straight away. And, and uh, yeah, it's just a, a, a very... Very cool insight from a from a guy that is so deeply immersed in it and knows the game inside out, and just uh, hearing his thoughts and his words and uh, was was yeah, it was very cool. I love I love the bit where he's a Holden fan, and I remember the G eight going across. Yeah. I think they used them as, as police <laughs> exactly. cars. They used them as police cars, didn't they? I think yeah. they they and yeah, uh, but yeah, the yeah. fact that he actually rendered it back to the Holden badging, oh, that was mega. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, and, and he's been out to Australia a few times. He, you know, he tested a, a supercar. Um, I think Paul Morris set that all up for him. Uh, yeah, whenever that was, like it's a long time ago. And um, you know, he's a big fan of the game, and I think there's a lot of those drivers over there know about supercars and stuff. And you, you know, you've got to put it in context. You know, Kyle Larson has come out and raced at, West, at Western Springs in mm. sprint cars for for years. That's I mean, right. it's in the in the off season in summer he'd come out and and race. I mean, so many of those guys have come out and done that over over the years, you know, NASCAR. And they they're just big, they have big names, but they are just normal people and they don't see the big deal. And, you know, for Kyle to shoot out to New Zealand for do a few sprint car races, do a few shows, it's like, yeah, man, sweet as. <laughs> so, um you know, it's it's uh, it's interesting to get this perspective, and and again, it's it's about race car drivers being put on pedestals, you know, and you can tell <laughs> those guys they they're not interested in that at all. They just want to go racing and have a good time, and and they're very humble um, about what they've achieved and what they're a part of, um, and that's I suppose that's the American way. I suppose that's that that's where they get the good old boys uh, added from. I got to say, uh, I just briefly and really briefly, uh, I'm a little excited about the new gene when he looks at the the way the car drives and how different it will be. Mm. Uh, that maybe we'll see a changing of the guard. Maybe some of these guys won't adjust as well as yeah. we think they will. 
Well, so maybe, um, and I didn't get to ask him because we were. It was I was taking up a heap of his time, but um, I, I was. It's going to be interesting to see if the lesser teams, the smaller minnow kind of teams, um, are closer mm. and and aren't struggling so much because these cars are now, you know, they're straight. They are, you know, all the way around them. They're square. You know, the pa- body panels on both sides are the same shape. There's no modifications to them like they like there has been for so long with aerodynamics and wind tunnels and all this kind of stuff come into play. So. You know, I'm excited to see you know some of these lesser lesser teams who have got great drivers but can't show their wares, uh, maybe getting a chance to actually uh, mix it with the with the big boys. But um, you know, uh, I feel what he was talking about. The new next-gen NASCAR, I think it's going to drive very similar to a, the way a supercar feels. I think supercar drivers would jump in one and go, hey, I'm in a, I'm in a supercar. Well, yeah, who knows? Maybe the transition from supercars to, to NASCAR might be a real thing in the future for some of these young drivers that uh, want to go and experience yeah. the American dream. More All so. right. Marcus Ambrose style. Uh, yeah. yeah, but not have to go through the trucks and the whole nine yards. All right, you're listening to Race mm. Control on a Wednesday, not a Thursday this week because it's Cup Week here in New Zealand. Coming next... The boss, the boss of Brad Jones Racing. Brad Jones himself live here on SENZ. Just gone 8 o'clock on a Wednesday. This is Race Control with Stephen McIver and Greg Murphy brought to you by Repco Life in the Fast Lane. We love nothing better than being in the Fast Lane. And if you want to win that Repco Bathurst 1000 Man Cave Pack, get on the phone right now, 0800 150 811. You don't win it by text, you win it by calling us, 0800 150 811. One man that's been in the Fast Lane for a number of years but have been in supercars for, I think, they're on the 21st year is Brad Jones, who is Mr. Brad Jones Racing. He joins us right now. Hello, Brad. Morning, guys, or evening, I should say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what part of the world are you in, mate? <laughs> show you, show you how far off the pace I am. <laughs> uh, uh, Brad, good. Stephen here. Uh, I got to ask you this question: Do you ever take your cap off? Yeah, I haven't got one on now. <laughs> yeah, but I can't. And plus, I don't wear one in the shower either. <laughs> yeah, no. It's always, every photo I've ever seen taken of you, buddy, is you, you've always got your cap on. But it, it's it's a pretty impressive look. Let's talk about uh, season 2021. Um, you've got Perkett in 7th, Hazelwood 15th, uh, Jackson 21st, and Macaulay in 23rd. I mean, where do you look at that as the in the last weeks of the season going? Is this a, an OK season or one that you, you could have been so much better? Uh, um, I think look, we've had our ups and downs a little bit I would say that my expectation on Percat was to be in the top 5 and and Todd to probably be somewhere between 10 and 12 so it's not probably quite where where I expected to be um, you know and I expected both Jack and Macca to be a little further up but they've both had you know things go wrong um, whether it's an accident or problem with the car so i mean it's an okay year it's certainly not the best i've ever had but it's not the worst either hey brad thanks for coming on mate Uh, it was pretty neutral but that's you know you're a politician so um i expect that from you um 
the last couple of rounds, though, Sydney Motorsport Park. What is it about Sydney Motorsport Park and BJR and having, you know, some strong, consistent stuff going on there? Nick Perkett has, has obviously been the standout for you the last two race meetings, but he's, you know, you guys have got something there, uh, especially for him, um, that, uh, you know, gives him a chance. Um, I, I wish I knew because I'd just pour it in the tank everywhere we went. I think mm, that yeah. the car is definitely hooked up there. Um, Townsville is another one we were strong at this year. So I feel like, you know, we've made some changes as the season has gone on and, and the cars are pretty strong. Um, so, uh, you know, driving home with Macca the other day, I said to him, I'm sick of coming forth, which is actually probably not a bad spot to be in, to be honest. And, and uh, you know, certainly better than fifth. So I, I think that, um, I don't know, it's just, just the engineers have got the cars hooked up. And, and while they weren't great in the wet, they were okay. But the interesting thing is usually if they're strong in the wet, like Mostad was, they're crap in the dry, like Mostad mm. was. So it's, it's, a bit, it's a bit weird. It wasn't like that back in the day. The car was good. It was sort of good, wet and dry. So... These things are obviously very different to drive than than uh, than the older cars. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's a never-ending challenge at the moment. Uh, there is a lot of changes coming up, though, in the future, which are going to be pretty interesting. Um, hey, we've talked to a few drivers, and we've spoken to Nick. We've spoken to Heimgartner over the last uh, few weeks, and. Um, what is it about having these big, long breaks and uh, drivers going all over the goddamn place um, in between when there's no racing going on? I mean, everything seemed all right at the end of Townsville. Everyone was happy and, and there was no talk. And then you went into this forced break with COVID and all of a sudden all hell broke loose and you're losing drivers and engineers and, and you're gaining them from other places. What the hell happened? Yeah, I wish I knew. Um, I think um, Nick just you know, how to change your heart. And and um, honestly, I've been stalking Andre for a little while because I think he's really talented. And I always mm-hmm. felt that he and uh, he and Nick would be an awesome combination at my place because, you know, you want yep. the two strongest guys you can get. And and uh, Nick decided that, that, you know, the allure of WAU, not that he told me if that was where he was going at the time, was uh, was right for him. And so, um, you know, I, I pushed even harder at Andre to get him. And, and honestly, I feel, and time will tell, but there's probably not a lot between the two of them. And so, um, you know, I was in an awkward position where I had an agreement with Nick in place, but I, I realised he didn't want to be there. And, and did I really want to have him there for a couple of years unhappy um, when I had the opportunity to reset and so the answer to that was no so then we negotiated to a point to get him out of our agreement so I mean I'm honestly I'm still a bit shocked by the whole thing to be honest but it is what it is life goes on You've got, you've still got. Well, we, you've got, you've brought Bryce Fullwood in. Uh, you've still got we're two spots available. Have you confirmed those last two spots? Um. Yeah. Well, Jack Smith's um, father owns the the other SCT rack, and so while it hasn't been confirmed, 
I can't imagine anyone else is going to be driving that car. And, and the other one's my son. So, you know. Because I know... He said to me the other day, should we put something out? And I went... <laughs> how does that nego- but tell us, tell us how that negotiation goes exactly, because I think that would be quite a funny one. With Macaulay? Oh, yeah, it is. Yeah. He's like, I don't earn very much. And I went, no, you don't, but you do have a drive. <laughs> oh, and you know what? I'm visualising you at the moment saying that because I know what your face would look like when you're doing it and how dry that would be. So, yeah. Um, did, so I, did I ever, I think I may have actually said to you one day, I think I may have said to you one day, hey, you don't pay me a lot, didn't I? Probably. Yeah. I think I think a few people have said that to me over the years. Certainly not Nick Burkett, though. <laughs> oh, well, that, that's, something off, that's something off the bottom line. Hey, Brad, uh, there's, a, there's always been a lot of complimentary uh, feeling when pl- drivers sign for you, and I think it was Bryce Fullwood in his, in his press release said, I'm really happy going to BJR because they're real racers. You know, they race hard. And, and that must be an enormous compliment for, rather than saying, I'm going to a place that's really nice and it's got the setups, setups lovely and I'm going to have what I want. It's rather than going, you know, it's an emotional connection, which I think is really important now. Um, yeah, look, I, I work really hard um, nowadays at making sure that our place is, is a, you know, this there's a couple of ways you can run a team. You can be extremely militant, and I've tr- we've tried that at BJR, and it just doesn't work for me. So driving at our place to get the best out of everyone because of the amount of work you've got to put into it, it's, it's, it has a very family feel to it. And and that's not to say that, you know, you get away with anything. You know, there's, there's you know, people get disciplined. You've got to make sure you do your job properly but but by the same token um you know we go to work every day and try and do the very best we can and be successful as we can and and i think that people see that uh, we i don't do anything else but car racing it's all i think about when i get up in the morning till i go to bed at night and and you know and everyone at work is like that you know and so so when someone leaves it's it's usually really disappointing and um, but when someone comes, you know, it's like the, the engine guy we have at the moment said to me the other day, Peter Wallace, he's been around all sorts of teams, and he said to me, "Wow, this is amazing! It's the first time I've come to all with your team." Um, you know, I go around at one guy's place for dinner, or the engineer comes, someone else comes. You know, they you, they go out on the boat, five of the team members go. It's not like that in a normal team, and I think the fact that we live in a little regional town. Is, is all part of that, you know, it, it's, um, you know, and it, but like you said, what Bryce said is a really nice thing to say about me and about our team. Well, that's a, that, that's a credit to your leadership because I'm a great believer that good organisations are led well. So you can take that one as a, an enormous pat on the back. But what I do have to ask, you're running a four-car team. That's no mean feat. But how does Brad Jones Racing start to challenge again, start to really challenge for championships? Well... You know the the problem is what happens a new when you when a new car comes along like you did with Car of the Future. Um, it's pretty even playing field, and everyone's right where they are. And money really doesn't play a huge part in it because you build the cars, and you can't do much other than just go racing. And then what happens is over time, um, the little one and two percenters get done for teams like Triple Eight or Penske. Um, and then they slowly add up. And then as time goes by, 
you end up with two juggernauts of the sport and everyone else scrambling for bickies. And, and that pretty much describes where we are currently. So I'm hoping with the new Gen 3 car, there will be a reset. It won't be as you know draconian as it was when Car of the Future came in because that had a massive weight distribution change and you know lots of different things. But but I think I think the reset is a good starting point, and and then it's recruiting properly, having really good people. But when you know when you've got a bunch of engineers. Um, and someone can afford to pay their very best engineer five or six hundred thousand dollars. That's really hard to compare, or to compete with. So you know you got a bloke like Ludo, who doesn't matter where he goes, you know he turns everything into gold. You know it's hard hard to beat that, especially when they've got money to throw at everything. It's not all about money. It's also time. All right. Well, let's just hold that thought because we're going to take a wee break. I want to come, We both want to come back and talk to you about Gen 3 and the sale of supercars. You're listening to Race Control on a Wednesday with Stephen McIver and Greg Murphy with our good friends at Repco. It's uh, coming up to 12 minutes past eight, and we're talking to Brad Jones of Brad Jones Racing. Gen 3 supercar sales. So much to talk about coming next. Kyber and Greg Murphy, four-time Bathurst champion, and we're talking to Brad Jones of Brad Jones Racing. Bradley, uh, the new car, uh, Gen 3. Yep. Um, lots yep. of talk, lots of chat. Uh, I know, I'm sure you've had your head up uh, in the uh, all the bloody drawings and the designs and the ideas and all this kind of stuff um, more than most. Um, tell us your thoughts about it. I mean, uh, being delayed, uh, good, bad thing. I think it's probably a good thing. Um, but but you said before about when the, the, the car of the future was bought out, it did level the playing field a little bit more. Do you think we're going to be able to maintain that with, with Gen 3 for, for teams such as yours versus the mites of the Triple Eights, et cetera? Yeah, there's, there's a couple of things that actually probably worry me a little bit. But so the first thing is, I think the car is, is you know, it's like a GT3 car. So, I mean, I haven't seen one yep. in the flesh today uh, yet, but but you know, with COVID we can't travel around. But um, you know, I think the pictures I've seen of it's a pretty little thing. Um, um, there's, uh, there's a couple of things that I'm not too sure about, but I'm on, on the planning committee, so um, it will be interesting to see how it goes so the delay i think there was really no choice with covid uh, with the you know the difficulty in sourcing material and parts and get manufacturing uh, of composite materials done it was it was always going to need to be delayed unfortunately so i don't think that's a problem um the fact that the homologation teams get to test the thing for a year you know i think that concerns me a little bit to be honest um but uh, you know i'm i'm reassured that that it'll be fine but you can't unlearn something so how they're going to share that knowledge around and let other teams partake in that will be really interesting to see because um if someone's running around for six months before the rest of his built car and it's triple eight or it's djr I don't really think that's fair. So so there's a bit of work to be done on some of that stuff. Oh, what a thought, Brad, with being on the planning committee, you'd be a little more excited. You sound you sound a little nervous about it. I know it's a, I know it's a year or so away, but No. I'm I'm I am excited about it. Look, I think I think it has a lot of potential, but but by the same token, it's very different. Last time we built a car we kept the same engine and and um you know, we had a transaxle really 
um, fitted to that car for the first time, but that was the big thing. This is a very different uh, kettle of fish, but and I haven't seen it, so it's hard for me to to be you know too excited about it. There's been a lot of delays, but I think the concept is really good. We've got enough time to fix anything that's wrong with it, and I really do hope that it, it levels the playing field. There's just a couple of things about it, that, not even so much about the car, just the process that we need to get right. Ford and GM um, have backed the project. I think that's great. We've got the best um, opportunity to level the aero. We're pulling a lot of aero out of the car. And as Murph will be able to attest, this car will be very different to what we currently race. And it'll be interesting to see how that looks when, when they start to really fire them in anger. Yeah, it, everything does look good on on paper. I mean, it's a stunning looking car. The the dimensions of the body panels and everything now, you know, being um, OEM uh, is 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 huge. Obviously, the Mustang now looks like a Mustang, or it's going to, and the Camaro is a sexy, beautiful looking car too. So I mean, those things are, are really good. And in some respects, uh, we've I spoke to we we actually had a long interview with Dale Earnhardt Jr. Um, before you came on, Brad, and um, we we're obviously talking about NASCAR and we're talking about their next-gen car as well. And and their car, their new next-gen car, sounds a lot more like our supercar. It's almost like we've got, you know, we've done it, um, built the same car just through different people doing it on two different parts of the world. It's almost like we should have been working together and actually just built one between the, the two countries. Yeah, well, that's very true. And, and um uh, you know, they, they, they're they using the same transaxle and a whole heap of things that they're using in our car. So the big, I, I, one of the really interesting things for me is the lack of aero. And, and it'll be interesting to see whether it achieves what some people say it will, which is you'll be able to stay all over someone and, mm. um, and pass them. My personal opinion is when you're in traffic, it heats up the front tyres, makes the thing understeer more. There's more to it than just pulling the aero off the car. I think I think if you're really searching for that, then you need to work on your tyre, you know, as well as work on your aero. Anyway, I'm sure there's plenty of people smarter than me working on the project, so it'll be interesting <laughs> to see what they come up with. Well, well, let's let's talk some positive news. Let's put the happy smile face back on your face. I mean, the supercar. That was positive. That was a positive chat. It well, was a very positive yeah, chat. Yeah, I thought it was. <laughs> Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It's just questions. Yeah, There's my... questions. Questions are good. All right. I'm backing the truck up. Can you can you hear it, Brad? The supercars. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You happy it went through? No, I'm not a. Yeah, of course I am. Uh, <laughs> I um, yeah. No, I think it's. I, I'll try and be a bit more upbeat in, in this answer. <laughs> I think that. Um, I think it's going to be good for the sport. Archer being a fantastic partner, and for us, that were around prior to the sale. It, it put on a. It, it was very different. Someone else owning 65 percent of the business. It took a lot of people a bit of adjusting, and and it certainly changed the dynamic of the business. So I think uh, someone taking over the whole business is is good for them, and I think it'll be good for us in the long run. So it guarantees what our income is, pretty much, and more importantly, it puts a bunch of sporting people at the controls of our business that have have got a lot to gain by making the business bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think that's that's great. While Peter Wiggs from Archer has done an exceptional job to to help us get to where we are currently, I think I think the guys from TLA and 
and Barclay and, and, and um, you know, a few of the guys really have got a good handle on, on some of the uh, some of the things that we could probably do with some help in, uh, you know, marketing, PR, you know, all that sort of stuff. We had a partner, which was SEL, which is Tony Cochran-led, and, and um, I think this partnership will be something like that. I hope it is anyway. So, yeah, it's it's a big shift because, you know, uh, team owners have had a say in uh, the direction and, and control over decisions for a very, very, very long time. And and the big, most significant change in this one is is that uh, there's no, you know, that, that board representation and that ability to veto or change or, or control certain things is, is now gone for the teams. Um, but everyone seems acceptant of the need for that to happen now. Yeah, look, in truth, um, I think that when Archer took over, they really took control of the reins. And so while they left us to do whatever we wanted within reason in terms of the car, that they controlled where we raced and when. And as I said, I thought they did a good job, certainly through the pandemic, to, to keep us alive and keep us going. And, mm. and of all the sports, you know, I felt like we probably... Um, were the least affected in, in terms of having an opportunity to compete and not being stuck too much uh, away from home. While we were away for six weeks, some of the codes, it was a lot worse than that. So um, it'll be interesting. It's a new bunch of people. And, and they've, you know, I've met them a couple of times. They've got a lot of enthusiasm. So, um, and they've got a lot to lose. So that means they've got a lot of reason to make it work. And um, um, I think they will. I think it'll be good. And then to your point, Greg, you talk about the teams. You know, they're, they're a small bunch that really are very active around the business side. But by and large, everyone wants, you know, wants the money to, to go racing. And if this helps us generate a better package and and more yep. fans and access to more support, then that's going to be a great thing for everyone. And so, yeah, I'm I'm... I'm Mind tell it from my voice, but I'm pumped about this. You yeah, know, no. no. <laughs> oh no, I, I can tell because I know you how excited you are. But you know, Stephen might not get that, so it's <laughs> yeah. okay. It's no, okay. but, but the, you, yeah. you, you hit it oh, one thing on the on the head, and that the fact is that the one thing Supercars does so well is looks after the fans. It's such an all-consuming job being a, an owner and running a team of four cars and staff, the crew, the whole nine yards. Just one final thought: How do you de-stress? How does how does Brad Jones go? I'm just going to take take some time out here. How do you do it? Well, I sleep most nights, but other than that, I don't. I don't yeah, really do those, much. Yeah, those drugs are good, though, Brad. Yeah, aren't they? <laughs> you know what? I'm overworn. <laughs> That's about the only other thing I've got time for. But I, I, you know, it's just, you know, my brother moved out of the business, you know, a year and a half ago or something, and and I probably do more now than I ever did. Really, it's mm. just you know, I'm just not ready to stop, and I enjoy it a lot, and. Well, you know, like you know, we talk about drivers and engineers leaving, none of that stuff is pleasant. And sometimes I sit here and wonder why I do it. But um, I, I do mm. love the sport. It's all I really know. And, and I'm just not ready to stop yet. And when I do, I don't, I don't know what I do. But, you know, I, I, I like watching car racing. So when I'm not racing, like when the Speedway bikes were in New Zealand, Macaulay and I flew over and watched that. So I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a motorsport fan. 
so so I I, I watch car racing. Oh, well, well, that'll do us, and that's why yes, that's why are. that's why people love working for you. Hey, Brad Jones, thanks so much for spending your time with us. Best of luck at uh, City Motorsport on week weekend number three. Thanks, guys. Great to chat. Anytime. And and Bathurst and Bathurst Bradley. Brad, it's your it's, thanks, uh, you know couldn't come at a better time, man. Good luck. I hope so. Thank you. Appreciate it. See ya. <laughs> Brad Jones Racing live here on Race Control. Good to uh, you with our good friends at Replica. What a nice bloke. What a nice bloke. Yeah, he is. He's just a stalwart of it. And as he says, he just loves it. He, you know, what else does he do? He, and he's been in, in the game for so long. There's a huge amount of knowledge. And and, the, and a key word there, passion, man. Ain't it? Yeah. He's got uh, passion in Bays yeah, I love it. that. 827, how race control. We're going to talk about uh, the next generation of New Zealand racing drivers shortly with our good friend David Turner. The applications are opening for Motorsport New Zealand's Elite Academy. That's coming next on Race Control. Four-time Bathurst champion Greg Murphy almost said my name there, actually, because I went the other way around, and Stephen McIver here on a nationwide you can Wednesday. Say that. I don't mind. If you <laughs> I would love, mate. If, if I was, if I no, that's just I'm just streaming. <laughs> hey, you know, I just uh, had a little uh, note. I, 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 if I was you... only half the broadcaster you were, Stephen. If I was only half the broadcaster you were. The man love. I'm loving the man love run. I got a bit of man love from Nick Cancelli. Has that been recorded? You're going to save that? Yeah, we could. Can oh, we can we play that back before the end of the show, please? The man love. Hey, um, I've just had a little DM, a notification from Nick Cassidy. Oh, a DM. A DM. I think mm. is it a DM? Is it a your DM? Direct message. Yeah, because he saw my Instagram post about who our guests were. And he went, I can't use the first word because Sam, our boss in Australia, would tell me off for swearing. But the last part was... Did you get Did you get in trouble before or earlier? Too, yeah, I did. I got in trouble for saying, yeah, I can't. Oh. I'm not a say because she'll tell me off again. Uh, okay. But he thought, how cool. Right, right. So I told him, like anyone around the country or in Australia, just go to our podcast section on the SENZ app or SEN app, listen back to the whole, whole show or the interview separately. He was very excited. I think probably more about about the fact you were talking to Dale Earnhardt Jr. <laughs> you know, but that's yeah. it's pretty it's pretty cool and uh, that, that's nice. Alrighty. So your son Ronan has been through the Elite Motorsport Academy and uh, the what, Elite. What? Elite? Elite. Who says elite. Elite. You say elite. You say elite. It's elite. Oh, elite. elite. Now you're telling me how to right. Okay, this well let's talk to one of the uh, the men on the board. That's uh, David Turner, arguably without a shadow of a doubt, one of the best motorsport producers this country has produced and continues True to be. That. And he is on the Elite Academy. DT, how are you, buddy? Yeah, good day, Stephen. Well, first of all, I really, really can't see you doing a lap of the gods at Bathurst. There's only one of the two of you that can do that, and it ain't you. I'm sorry to tell you that. Well, okay, so let me tell you one little story. I, if I'm ever in the presence of Greg in Bathurst, I'm never, ever allowed to be on the track because the first time we went to Bathurst and we were going up there and we parked beside the track because we were doing some links for television he's, and he's yawning now and we're going to tell the story and I don't care and I said oh mate oh, can, we had a rental car do you mind if I can I drive around the track you know what the answer was before I even got it out you know can no no, you yep. cannot drive on the track. So it was like the most gutting thing ever. You're not allowed, even if it was a public road, no. No was the answer. Well, it was a public road at the time. It was a public road at the time. You're saying there's lots of people around. I was just concerned for their safety. Yeah. <laughs> so that's what I have to deal with, with DT. But look, let's talk about the Elite Motorsport Academy. Can you break it down first of all and foremost? What is it so people understand? 
Okay, well, it's an initiative that was started by Motorsport New Zealand in conjunction with uh, what was the Motorsport Scholarship Trust quite a few years ago now, and uh, it's been going since about the 2003 mark. Uh, we've had some 150-odd drivers, rally co-drivers, drifters, you name it, go through the academy in that time. Uh, we have a very, very strong relationship with the Otago Academy of Sport, which has been high-performance sport in New Zealand. It's had various names, but... As far as we're concerned, they're our dear friends in Otago, and it's Otago Academy of Sport. Uh, and our success rate in uh, graduates that have gone through the camp is around the 34% mark of people that have gone on to have a full-time career in the sport in some way, shape, or form, which is you know, it's a pretty good overall stat. Um, and we're very proud of that because the whole concept of the academy is about giving these guys or girls, uh, a chance to learn other things other than just driving the car. We're, we're not in the business of teaching people how to drive cars. There are plenty of other people that do that and plenty of other good scholarship uh, you know, programs, which I know Greg's involved in the Tony Quinn one. So there's, there's a lot of things that cope with that part of it, that we're about the, the business side of the sport and the mental attitude towards the sport and all those sorts of things. Okay, let's search. you talk about this 34% success rate. Give us some names that, that we readily know that have come through this Motorsport Academy and why, at that point in their career, you saw something special in them. Well, one of them was uh, someone that texted you, or sorry, DM'd you before, and that was McCassidy. <laughs> um, but, you know, there's been a, there's been a, a raft of them, and I... I, I looked through the list tonight, you know, and you look at the names of Hartley, Bamba, Evans, both of them. Um, they've all been through the Academy. Van Gisbergen. Uh, there's, there's plenty. There's, uh, you know, there's a young guy called Murphy just only two years ago that went through it. What stands out with those when we interview them initially to get the eight that go to the camp every year because that's, that's what goes to the camp. Uh, and if you look at this year as an example, uh, we had over 70 applicants for the eight positions, we interviewed 32 people and eventually cut it down to eight. Now, it was made a lot harder this year because of the fact that we didn't for the first time ever have, an, have a camp last year because of COVID. Um, so it made it that much harder. But equally, those people that missed out this year should apply again next year because you've got to be in to win like anything. Uh, the thing that stands out with them is whether or not there's just that little bit of spark that you can see some potential in. Um, you know, there's many things, the way they interview themselves, the way they go through the camp. And naturally, there's some that, that go on to do other things in life or, or choose not to be involved in the sport, or they're involved in the sport in different ways as well, in which case the academy has still done something to help those people out because it's about the whole nurturing and growing of, of the individual at the same time. And... You know, I've heard that from a lot of the respective parents when, you know, their son or, or daughters come back from the camp, they've gone, well, they're a different person when they came back. And we've got to also remember that it's not just the camp for a camp week. The whole graduation program goes for over a year. And we've, we've got tutors that are tutoring these people that train, you know, Olympic athletes are alongside people like Holly Robinson when they're in the gym down there, which I always find inspiring. You know, um, the Highlanders, all of these people, these are world-class tutors that these people get the benefit of for over 12 months. 
So it, it, yeah, it's an amazing thing, and and Ronan uh, learnt so much, and um, is you know it, he's taking so much of what he got out of doing the Elite Academy with him uh, on, on his journey. Um, but you would get asked, Dave, like I do, and is, is why do we have uh, such a strong propensity? To be successful in this in this sport, which is which is traditionally and is going to continue to be forever, such a difficult sport to get involved in and get to that top level, that top echelon of professional racing, um, because of the financial side of it. What have you seen? Can you tell us why you think, um, from what you've seen, why we just punch above our weight and actually produce so much talent that that on the world stage is as good as anybody else in the world? I think, Greg, you know, a lot of it becomes, it's a bit of a, you know, the ones that go on to really, really succeed, a lot of it is personal drive that they have, the the will to want to do it, not to give up on it, not to give up on the dream. Um, you know, a, a young guy that I'm very close to at the moment is Hunter McElroy. Now, he's on the verge of being on the third step of the, the road to IndyCar series. He went through the academy a, a few years ago, and as you well know, you know, his dad was a great driver in his time, runs a very successful business in you know the Gold Coast in Australia but Hunter when he came through the camp he was a young kid just like Ronan was when he came through and you kind of thought with Hunter oh, there's a little bit of a class clown you know he, he just came across that way but actually deep down he really wanted it he knew the pathway that he wanted he'd set his sights on the States um, and he drove very well in Pullman Ford in Australia which got him to a scholarship program into the States won that got him a first season drive uh, in the USF 2000 category, and then you know went on to Pro Indy and, and next year hopefully Indy Lights as well. So to me, he's he's probably quite a good example of it. It's just the fact that there's just the sheer determination, and they understand that maybe at times you know all the all the parts of the puzzle don't quite align, but they don't give up on it. And I think that's where we, as a nation, and it applies to guys that are behind the scenes as well, like Blair Julian and you know Scott. Dixon's crew chief. It's the work ethic that they bring to the table as well. And Kiwis are renowned for that. And I honestly believe that that's what we do. Some of those values come from the academy. Uh, and that's the, the thing that money can't buy. Um, it's one thing to be a rich kid from Brazil with dad's meat large checkbook. But those other aspects, you, you can't buy that. That's, that's bread and that's actually part of our culture. And in your time with the elite... Elite, elite motorsport <laughs> academy, uh, DT. Has there one been one person walked in the door from the get-go and you went, that person's uh, winning this straight away. They're, 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 they're the one. They're the one that can, you know, is going to top everybody. No, well, no, not really, Stephen. You know, at the end of the day, when you look back at all the people that have been through the, the academy over all the years and you look at each year's camp that goes through or, you know, the eight that we've got in... in their camp year right now, um, no, there's not. It almost gets harder and harder. Every year when we do the interviews, you go, my God, who are we going to leave out here? You know, And we debated it well into the night at uh, Lyle Williamson's offices uh, when we chose the eight that went to Otago in, in July this year. And we had 14, and we debated for a very long time to get it down to, to the eight that we did. Um, so... No, it would be unfair to say that there's one that stood out more than the others because they all have virtues and they've all had virtues at various times in their careers. So if you look at a, a, a Brendan Hartley, you know, how do you compare that with um, 
you know, someone that went through the camp only a couple of years ago, you, you kind of can't. But they all share a very uh, strong determination to succeed. And, and I think that's fantastic. You know, that's a very great virtue to have. You're listening to Race Control with David Turner, a member of the, what are you, the board or the, what are, what are the what's your name for Trust. that? Trust, you're a trust member. Thank you for the Elite Motorsport Academy from Motorsport New Zealand. Uh, you've been a victim of COVID, not the actual disease itself, but career-wise, because I was reading the other <laughs> Let's day. Let's just make sure we get yeah. that out correctly, Yeah, just get, get that yeah. right. Yes, thank um, you very much. You were offered the chance. All David's mates now, we're going to ignore him because he's got COVID. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's been a victim. I'm on quarantine in the spare room now. Yeah. <laughs> Lynn's probably quite happy about that. Hey, uh, the other, the, you were had the opportunity to go to the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, the F1 yeah. Grand Prix, and produce. But the yeah. old lottery uh, has uh, dashed those those dreams of getting to yeah. the big leagues. <laughs> well, I guess I can sum up Murph's uh, question from before, the determination factor. So, yes, it's true. I had the chance to... Uh, to go and work at the Saudi Grand Prix um, to be one of the producers, actually, and I was going to look after what will be a phenomenal pre-race it, show that they're going to so have. Sorry, mate, is, is, that, is that because they couldn't find anyone else that wanted to go to Saudi Arabia? Oh, or? that's harsh. <laughs> uh, just checking. Hey, just checking. Know me for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> can, can you, uh, you were telling me a quick story, but please tell me this little story, because can you give it away? Is there any NDA on the fact about the, the drones? The drones, is there any NDA uh, on that? I don't, I don't know if there's an NDA, because I didn't get the job now anyway. Oh, so well, tell us. Tell us anyway, what are the, what's, what's one of the big shows they're going to do there? Well, one of the things that I was going to be looking after was the television production of what's going to be about 65 drones in the year before the start of the race, oh and they'll go up so many God. hundred feet. And they will then dim the lights across the circuit, and these drones will have lights on them. But when you look up into the sky, they'll be mirror imaging the shape of the track, which I think is pretty Clever, but, actually, the fact that they can do that. And then above those 65 drones will be well, another 15 of them with pyrotechnic display on them as well. Holy well, they, they, they say they can do it. But, but you no, know, have you not seen it done yeah, before, Murph? Yeah, yeah. Have you not seen it done before? Oh, we'll it off at oh, I've seen it done. Time. I have. I have. But, geez, that must be nerve-wracking. Yeah. Oh, un- yeah. unbelievable. Look, yeah, we, I, I do have to ask you this question since we've got a little bit of time here tonight. Uh, your, love of, your love of IndyCar... You are probably the, one of the biggest IndyCar fans I know. Hold on. Hey. Uh, uh, apart, from, apart from my other mate, Greg, how I quickly said to me. Well, no, no, but hang on a, hang on a minute. If I've sat in the car and talked to IndyCars for hours and hours and hours with, with DT, so I, and I haven't done that with you, so I'm just, you know, that's where my skew comes up, from. I can't put up with you for that long. Anyway, uh, anywho, DT, where does the love of IndyCars come from? That's not true, I do. It's two um, hours a night on the ACNZ race control. I, I can actually um, give it credit to the late Larry Rice that showed me around the Indianapolis Motor Speedway in 1996 after I'd been uh, in Atlanta working on the Olympics. And he spent the day with me, and I'd seen him race a midget here at Western Springs. Um, and I just kind of... I don't know, formed a connection with him then and uh, and it made me very determined the fact that one day I wanted to go and watch the 500 and up until the time of COVID from 2002 until 2000 and whatever it was, 19 I hadn't missed an Indy 500 in that period of time. Wow. And there's something wow. very special about that race as Greg knows, of, you know, we've seen each other there um, it, it there's something very unique about the, the position that IndyCar's in right now. Yes, Formula One is the pinnacle of our sport, we all know that, but equally IndyCar very much stands 
right up there alongside it because of the discipline that those drivers go through. And then, but it's getting better though, Dave, isn't it? I mean, it's it's just going through yeah. this incredible um, sprouting at the moment of of talent and oh, racing yeah. and excitement. I mean, something that Formula One is lacking. Well, when you look at it, you know, already at the moment, um, and it's at the engine manufacturer's capacity, they're looking at, at 40 cars trying to qualify for the 33 spots for next year's 500. So, you know, you, you, you can see that commercially. It's very, very viable and successful right now in the States. And that, that's, that's great. And, you know, we've got two Kiwis in the main game, both called Scott. Uh, and then, you know, hopefully Hunter will be in Indy Lights. Uh, Billy Fraser will be in, you know, Pro 2000. So there's, there's a vast number of Kiwis there, you know, and, and we've got a lot of people behind the scenes. I was lucky enough to, to take a photo two years ago of all the Kiwi mechanics that were at the 500 in, in 2019, and there's over 20 guys there working on various race teams, and they all come from New Zealand. So, again, it's, a, it's our work ethic thing, and it, you can tie that back to the academy as well. It's the fact that um, Alistair Wooten, who's one of the other trustees, mm. I came up to Indianapolis with me, who went through the academy uh, as a young driver himself. And obviously he's in the driver training fitness game these days. And he spent some time with Jim Leo, who owns Pitfit in Indianapolis and trains Dixon and Canaan and a bunch of other people. But the interesting part about it at the end of the day is everything that Ali was teaching drivers back here is just the same as what Jim Leo's teaching them. It's just done on a bigger number of people um, but what we do down here and how we educate people, we're doing as good as anybody. And I think that's one thing that, as a trustee, I'm very proud of what we do at the academy because these guys get the chance to work with these you know, yeah. amazing tutors, and they really are amazing people. They're very inspiring, and, uh, and that's probably one of the key attributes to the trust as well and the way the academy program is that these guys for 12 months get access to these tutors at no cost to them whatsoever. As okay. a trust, we pay everything. Okay, DT, just quickly, running out of time now because it's mm. been so much fun yeah. talking to you. Uh, how do they apply? How do people apply quickly? Mm. Well, application, applications for next year's camp, so that'll happen in July of next year, uh, have gone online now. So you can have a look at the Motorsport New Zealand website and that'll give you the pathway to that. Applications will stay open until February, March of next year. Um, so there's plenty of time. Uh, it doesn't matter, it's like the MIQ lottery, it doesn't matter when you get in there, but get in there um, and uh, and get your name in the ring because to get to the interview stage is one thing, to get past the interview stage is another thing. So I encourage everyone there's to nothing, check it out. And talk there to is, people that have been through the nothing, academy. There is nothing like the MIQ lottery, mate. Nothing. Let's no, leave, let, let's no, leave the right. MIQ lottery alone. DT, got to fly. Thanks, mate. Appreciate that. This is Race Control. Apart from listening to you, Merv, talk about, uh, talk with, should I say, Dale Earnhardt Jr. And, and if you want to hear that full interview and the whole show, remember in about oh, 30, 35 minutes' time, uh, you can go onto the SENZ or SEN uh, app on your phone, uh, click on podcasts and look us up. And uh, I know, as we've said already, our very own uh, Formula E uh, driver, uh, Nick Cassidy's uh, doing that wherever he is, probably in Monaco or something like that. Uh, so that's that's a whole heap of, heap of fun to look forward to. Are you looking forward to uh, Supercars this weekend, Murph? Uh, it's the BP Ultimate Super Sydney Super Night Sprint, whatever you want to call it, throw it out there. But, it's hard uh, to keep up. It, it, it is hard to keep up. Uh, yeah, <laughs> of course I am. I think last week's racing was, uh, was very entertaining. Are we going to see something different? I suppose that will keep us watching. Um, I think the, the two compound tyre thing worked really 
really well last week, and then we got some wet racing as well. We never have a bad wet yeah, race. Yeah, they, they, so they said in the, cool. in the preview to the surf back to back to back to back to back weekends they were going to run them a different one, a different course. I haven't seen that yet. Are they not going to do that? Uh, maybe there was a suggestion. I actually, I, I yeah, vaguely recall seeing something about it, but I, I think that was um, short lived and and probably a good idea too because the best the best racetrack is the one they are racing on. Yeah. It provides the best racing. All righty, well we're done for another edition of Race Control with our good friends at Where'd Repco. That go? We didn't actually have to work too hard tonight. Uh, well, no, you had done all the hard work, my friend. And, That's uh, right. And, there and, you uh, go. Thank you. Uh, oh, yeah. I was, I was about to give you a comment about saying if I, if I could be <laughs> half the race car driver you would, I'd be, I'd be a happy individual. But we'll let that, we'll leave that alone. Don't forget, <clears throat> we're back next Thursday between 7 and 9. Thursday. And if you not want Wednesday, to, Thursday. Not, that's right. And if you want to win that, yeah. bring in the Bathurst. Repco Bathurst 1000 Man K Pack. All you do is call us. We don't like texts. We love calls. We love talking to people. And you know the number here on SCNZ. It's 0800-150811. I remembered it. I remembered it, Murph. I saw that look. I still can't remember it. <laughs> we'll see you next Thursday. Take it easy, Murph. Ciao. Ciao.